welcome to the We Are Zion Sermon Podcast. We are a local church based here in Chennai, India. We are so glad you are with us and hope that this will encourage, inspire and instill fresh faith in you. We continue our sermon series called Glimpses today where we find shadows of Jesus in the Old Testament. Our desire is that through this series you would find great joy and renewed reason to meditate on the Old Testament as well as the New. We have Jeremy Nicholas share God's word with us today from Isaiah chapter 9. While it is a familiar passage, we find fresh perspective in it as we consider who the king of our life is. We hope that as you listen in, you will identify areas in your life where you may have to reinstate Christ as your king. Hello everyone. It is uh good to be with you again. Uh, so we are going through a series called Glimpses, uh, Jesus in the Book of Isaiah, and we're in week four. So we, we have done three weeks of it, and we're in week four. Uh, we're going to be looking at uh, Isaiah chapter nine, verses six and seven, and see what they speak to us. So uh, I'm going to go ahead and pray first, and then uh, we'll get the ball rolling on this uh, message. Okay, so let's pray, Heavenly Father, we. Thank you as always Lord we start by thanking you for giving us the privilege and the freedom and the security to gather together in your name Lord. Thank you that we are here because of you. Thank you that you're the one that binds us together. Thank you that because you have loved us that we can freely love each other as well. And Father we ask that uh, you would speak to us clearly that uh, you would give me the words to speak that uh, you would help me to be obedient to whatever you have me to say and that uh, those are the things that will be said Lord. Father, we ask that uh, whatever you have for us uh, uh, today, we ask that uh, that would penetrate our hearts, Lord, and that that would uh, bring about the change that you want, Lord. Father, we want to be changed by your word. So we ask that you would be the initiator and the cause of that change, Lord. And Father, as always, uh, we remember those that around the world that. who yearn to gather in your name but may not have the freedom or the security to do that Lord. So Father we ask that you would be their refuge, you would be their tower, you would be their strong fortress Lord, that you would keep them protected and that uh, you would give them peace and comfort and that you would bring about change so that they can in the future gather in security and uh, in comfort to worship you and to speak your name Lord. So Father we thank you for the things that you're doing in us and around the world. We know that you are at work. We know that you are not still but you are always moving, you're always in control. You are always expanding your kingdom. So Father we ask that uh, you would again speak to us and that uh, what you want to be said would be spoken here. We love you. We ask this in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. So As usual, I'm excited to be sharing with you. Um so we're going to kind of uh, read 9, 6 and 7 as well as the one that we did a couple weeks ago in uh, 7 chapter 7 verse 14 um because they're very closely related. This is Isaiah chapter 9 verses 6 and 7. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. and he will be called wonderful counselor mighty god everlasting father prince of peace 
of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. So this is Isaiah 9, verses 6 and 7. And it's very closely related to the one we did on week one, which is chapter 7, verse 14. But it kind of starts with a similar thing for us. To us, a child is given or a son is born. So it says, so this is chapter 7, uh, verse 14. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. It says, a virgin will conceive and give birth to a son again. Give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So, and we know Emmanuel means God with us. So two, what we would call messianic prophecies, both given by the prophet Isaiah and two very closely related. So now, uh, before going, uh, I actually have a title for the sermon. I normally don't have titles uh, for my sermons, but this one, um, I do have one. So it's called uh, Bad King, Good Kings, and the True King. So Bad King, Good Kings, and the True King. So we'll kind of go through these different kind of areas of bad kings, good kings, and the true king. And that'll kind of give us the flow for what we're going to be talking about um, this Sunday morning. So we're going to start with uh, King Ahaz. We spoke about him uh, on week one and the context within which he comes up. I'll kind of rehash that pretty uh, a little quickly. Um, so the context for that first messianic prophecy in 714 is uh, Isaiah goes and speaks to King Ahaz. So... King Ahaz finds himself in a very tricky position uh, politically. Um, so in the area, Assyria is coming up to be a significant, uh, like almost superpower. So they're gaining ground. Uh, they're becoming influential. So they're on verge of becoming a very uh, powerful uh, kingdom in that area. So because Assyria is coming up, and the neighboring kingdoms of Syria and Israel, neighboring kingdoms of Judah, have formed a coalition and to come up, to stand against this uh, Assyria that's coming up. Now, they formed a coalition. They want the kingdom of Judah to join the coalition, but Ahaz doesn't want to join the coalition. So Syria and Israel figure that they will uh, coerce the kingdom of Judah by force to join the coalition. So it is very likely that when Isaiah is speaking to Ahaz here, that the kingdom, that the city of Jerusalem is under siege by the kingdoms of uh, Israel and Syria. So that's the situation Ahaz finds himself in. It's a difficult situation. It's probably a very stressful situation. Uh, but uh, God sends Isaiah to speak to him. Isaiah tells him in simple words, don't worry about it. God will take care of it. It says, God says that it will not take place. It will not happen as in Jerusalem will not be overcome by these two kingdoms. Nothing will happen to you. Uh, just uh, do not be afraid. It'll be okay. I'll take care of it. So, so pretty much God is telling him, don't worry about it. I will take care of it. This will not happen. And then the first time Isaiah speaks to him, he ends by saying this uh, very interesting, wonderful statement. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. If you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. Please remember that phrase. Keep in the back of your minds. We'll come back to that in just a little bit. So that's the first time Isaiah speaking. And then it says that the Lord spoke to Ahaz again. And this time 
uh, Isaiah is telling him, Isaiah, God through Isaiah tells Ahaz, ask for a sign. I'll give you any sign you want, as high as the heavens, as deep as the depths. Ask me for anything. And Ahaz gives what seems to be a very pious and very faith-filled response. I will not test the Lord. I will not put the Lord to the test. Yeah. So it seems so faithful and faithful on the surface, but it really is a very faithless answer. And uh, because his response basically is uh, he doesn't want a sign because if he were to ask a sign, God will perform the sign. And once God performs the sign, he will be bound to do what God wants him to do. Ahaz does not want to do what God wants him to do. Ahaz wants to do his own thing. He does not want God to, he does not want to be patient and see how God is going to work things out. Uh, he wants to run to Assyria for help. He wants to pay them tribute, become a vassal state. And so that's what he wants. He wants to go to Assyria, the superpower that's coming up for help. Uh, that's not God's plan. God wants him to stay put. And God is telling him nothing will happen. You don't have to be afraid of Israel or Syria. I will take care of these things. But he doesn't want to listen. And he knows if he asks for a sign, God will give him one. And he'll be bound to that, to do what God wants to do. So he doesn't want that. So instead of being obedient, he decides to do what he wants to do and says, I don't want a sign. And then Isaiah says, okay, God will give you a sign anyway. And that's when Isaiah says that uh, a virgin will conceive and she'll give birth to a son and he will be called Emmanuel. So that's the sign that Ahaz has given. Uh, so kind of want to uh, make a couple observations about Ahaz. He's our uh, model of uh, the bad king. Because, uh, so Ahaz is the king, king of the kingdom of Judah. So Israel was one state. They went through a civil war and broke up into the state of Israel or the kingdom of Israel and the kingdom of Judah. So he's the king. He's the king of the kingdom of Judah. And he goes down in biblical history as uh, one of the bad kings. Uh, he does not follow the God of Israel. He does not keep the commandments. He doesn't, uh, he is not for temple worship. He is really, uh, stepped away from God. And he has taken part in pagan worship. He has worshipped idols. He has done, we mentioned this, he's done something that God hates. He's offered his own child as sacrifice to a pagan god called Molech. So he has turned away from God and everything. And um, so he goes down, he would be considered a wicked or a bad king. But even in this situation, God sends his prophet to tell Ahaz to stand firm, informing him these, uh, like, they will not overcome you, as in Syria and Israel will not overcome you. It'll be okay. Stand firm and have faith. So even though this person is not following him or keeping his commandments or leading his people in righteousness and justice, God, in his mercy and grace, sends the prophet to tell him, hey, just listen to me. Trust, it'll be okay. So Ahaz chooses not to. Um, but, and then, so that's, that's the first thing Isaiah says. And then it says that, again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Uh, so it's almost like, so God is giving him a second chance. Like as I was reading some uh, articles on this passage, they point out the fact that here, so Isaiah speak to him, speaks to him the first time. It doesn't really seem like, um, Ahaz is accepting because it says the Lord speaks to him again. So God is giving him a second chance 
to be obedient, to listen, to heed to what he has to say. And again, he has doesn't. But it shows us that our God is a very gracious, merciful God, that he gives us second chances, even when he wasn't obedient the first time around. He, God, in his mercy and grace, gave him a second chance to reconsider what he was saying, but he didn't. Um, I found this to be true myself just earlier this week. I'll share something that happened. Um, my dad was in the hospital from Tuesday through uh, through the end of uh, through Thursday night. He, he went in for a procedure that had to be done. So I was there all of Tuesday, and then Wednesday I went back to work, and then Wednesday evening I went to go see my parents who were in the hospital. So as I walked in, I saw them, and my there was another a patient in the room where my dad was and as my mom told me what was happening i definitely felt like this uh, push or this conviction or this call to go pray for this person that was in the bed across from my dad um it was i mean i could say that uh, the excuse i was giving myself is i just don't have the courage to do it but to be honest uh, i was just plainly being disobedient uh, because I didn't want to. So I was giving myself excuses and there are people there. I don't want to do it. Maybe they won't be accepting. But I definitely felt that it just felt like this push or conviction or pressure. I just can't really put words to it, but I knew that it was the Holy Spirit calling me to go pray for this person. And I chose not to. Uh, as I was still struggling within myself and repeatedly choosing not to do this, um, his uh, blood pressure kind of dropped, so they said he had to go to the ICU. So in a matter of few minutes, they came and took his bed and took him away. So he left. And as I left uh, the hospital that Wednesday evening, I was just filled with guilt because I knew that I was supposed to do something and I chose not to. So I was filled with guilt the whole night. I was uh, filled with guilt Thursday morning. Um, I even slammed the car door out of that almost pain of this guilt I was feeling. Um, but uh, Wednesday night, I was preparing for the message. I kind of read this thing about Ahaz being given a second chance. So that was my prayer Wednesday night. I was like, God, I know I messed up. Please forgive me. Please give me a second chance. If I see this person again, I will gladly pray for them. But what am I going to lose in praying for this person? Right? I will have the courage to go pray. So... I so my dad was getting discharged Thursday night so I go back Thursday night and lo and behold this person is back in the bed across from my dad in the same room so apparently he had come back a couple hours back from the ICU because his BP is stabilized and stuff so guess what I did I prayed for him I did not lose any time went and introduced myself um, told him hey uh, can I pray for you Unfortunately, I can't pray. I can't pray in Tamil, but I can pray in English. So they were very recipient of me praying for his mom was there. So she was very, and he was a young person, age 24. He was very, he was recipient of me praying for them. His mom was glad that uh, we prayed and that uh, we talked. So we prayed for his healing. We prayed that his procedure the following day would go well. Uh, we prayed that uh, God would heal them and show himself true to these people because they were not Christian. So we had a wonderful time of prayer. And then I was so glad that God in his mercy had given me uh, this second chance 
to kind of set right what I had done wrong the previous day. So I remember praying, God, I know Ahaz didn't do it, but I will if you give me a second chance. So God in his mercy, in his grace, I experienced that for myself that Thursday night by seeing that person and without a shadow doubt, I knew this time I had to be obedient. So I had to, and God gave me the courage to go pray. So just a caveat uh, that God does give us second chances, uh, which I experienced myself. So, uh, oh, wait, so that's one thing. But what I want to focus on a little bit more is that phrase, if you do not stand firm in your faith, you will not stand at all. In the Hebrew text, this sentence is a very clever wordplay. I do not read biblical Hebrew, so I couldn't read and understand and explain it to you, but this is what I read that it is wordplay. There are two similar words that sound similar that are used. Um, but I found a paraphrase uh, by an Old Testament scholar that I think kind of communicates this wordplay very well. So his paraphrase of the scripture is, if you do not lean on me, how can I support you? If you do not lean on me, how can I support you? So this is God through Isaiah telling Ahaz, if you do not lean on me, how can I support you? So, um, and like the word, at least the NIV and some translations uses for faith, if you don't stand firm in faith. Um, many times in our current context, we think of faith as belief. Um, when we talk to G, I mean, when you talk to people who may not know, um, um, Jesus, or when people choose to accept him, we ask them, have you put your faith in Christ? As in, do you believe that this God, do you believe that Jesus is the true God, the one true God, right? So it always starts with this question of belief. Do you believe, faith is belief as in, do you believe that Jesus is true? In the Old Testament context, in Israel, faith is not a question of belief. Ahaz clearly believed that the God of Israel was true, because he knew that if he asked for a sign, God would perform one. So he knew he didn't want to ask it because he believed that God was true. God would do it. So this faith here that's mentioned is not a question of belief. It's a question of trust. As in, do you trust God to do the things that he is saying he will do? So again, that's why if you do not lean on me, how can I support you? Are you willing to trust me? Are you willing to lean on me and trust that I will carry these things out, that I will uphold and support you when you choose to lean on me? Um, it almost sounds like a rebuke to Ahaz from God. But what I want you to think about is that this is not thinking about this as a rebuke, but think about this as an invitation. God is inviting us to lean on him to trust him so that he can support us. Trust is not a passive thing. Trust is very intentional, very active thing that we do. So God is inviting us to lean on him and so that he can support us. Think about it for me. The practical thing that I can think of is like, if you have a chair with a backrest and you want to rest your back, you have to lean on the backrest. If you do not lean on the backrest, it doesn't support your back and you don't get your back doesn't get the rest that you desire, right? So God is inviting us to lean on him so that he can support us. So uh, Ahaz chooses not to lean on God. 
because uh, God says, don't do anything. I will take care of it. But he chooses not to lean and he goes and does his own thing and uh, becomes a vassal state of Assyria. But um, what I want to get from us, what I want us to get from this is that God is inviting us to lean on him so that he can support us, so that he will be our support. So again, that's the kind of like the lesson from um, the bad king. Now I want to set for the rest of the summer, I kind of want to give you a setting. So when, so we living now have this wonderful gift of hindsight. So we can look at these two passages of scripture and clearly say that, hey, Isaiah is talking about Jesus. Uh, Matthew in this gospel helps us with that because in the first chapter after the genealogy, he clearly says this was this was done to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah said and that a virgin will conceive. So we have been like, we have this wonderful gift of looking back and being like, yeah, he said this 800 years later, Jesus was born and we know he was clearly talking about Jesus. Isaiah did not have that gift of hindsight. He, we know more than Isaiah did as he was prophesying this, because we know he was talking about Jesus. He very likely, um, we can even say he did not know that he was talking about the Messiah or this future king, or especially he not talking about Jesus who was going to come in 800 years to establish God's kingdom, right? So put yourself, uh, imagine you are a person in the kingdom of Judah who has overheard or heard Isaiah give this prophecy, right? So he said, a uh, son will be given or a child will be born and that uh, he would be God with us or he'd be like God with us, then he'll be a mighty God, an everlasting father. So so when uh, he prophesied these things, very likely you were expecting someone to come and make things uh, right. Probably a king coming to set things right, right? Because things are bad right now. There is political turmoil. Uh, your king is not a righteous king. He has drawn the people away from the worship of the one true God to these idols. So you're looking for someone to come and reestablish hope and justice and righteousness. So you're probably looking for a king. Um, so Ahaz's wife was pregnant at that time. Clearly, she, she wasn't a virgin, but she was pregnant. So maybe the first thing you did was look at Ahaz's son. Maybe he'll be the one that comes and establishes this godly kingdom and that uh, turns us back to God. Uh, so Ahaz has a son called Hezekiah. Okay? So Hezekiah is uh, born. And this is what uh, the writers of uh, Kings, Second Kings, have to say about Hezekiah. So we're reading Second Kings chapter 18, verses 5 through 8. Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel. There was no one like him among all the kings of Judah neither before him or after him. He held fast to the Lord and did not stop following him. He kept the commands the Lord had given Moses and the Lord was with him. He was successful in whatever he undertook. He rebelled against the king of Assyria and did not serve him. From watchtower to fortified city, he defeated the Philistines as far as Gaza and its territory. So clearly it says in the kingdom of Judah, there was no king before, like him before him or after him. He was a great king and he followed God. So he had not followed his dad's example, but he did the total opposite, right? So he started following God. Um, he kept the Lord's commandments. He was faithful to the one true God. So in this was a time of uh, stability. Uh, this was a time where uh, people were being drawn back 
to worshiping the one true God, being drawn away from their idols and the pagan gods. So it seems that everything was going well. Things were starting to be hopeful. Things were starting to be right. But Hezekiah is human and he dies. So his kingdom, his reign comes to an end. It doesn't last forever like that prophecy in uh, 9, 6, and 7. It doesn't, it doesn't go on. Um, there may have been some justice and some righteousness and stuff, but it was not like an everlasting kingdom that had been established because even that righteousness or hope that they've seen comes to a pretty abrupt end when uh, his son Manasseh takes over. Manasseh is considered probably one of the most wicked kings in Judah. He, unlike his father, uh, goes back to what his grandfather did. So he did not follow God. He did not follow the commandments. He did not follow the law. He turned aside. He turned away from God and went back to worshiping pagan idols and false gods. So we see maybe the people saw this ray of hope in Hezekiah and thought maybe this is what Isaiah was talking about. But their hopes are quickly dashed when Hezekiah dies and Manasseh takes over, which is the opposite of what his dad was. So, so now maybe you as a person in the kingdom of Judah are looking again to see, okay, it wasn't Hezekiah. Maybe it's somebody else. Maybe this person that Isaiah prophesied is still coming, right? And then Josiah shows up on the scene. I think Josiah, if I'm not mistaken, is also considered a boy king. I think he, I think his coronation as king of his, Judah was around when he was eight, seven or eight, I, I think. Don't quote me on that, but that's what, if my memory serves me right, I think he was a very young person when he was crowned the king of Judah. And this is what uh, Second Kings has to say about, <clears throat> excuse me, this is what Second Kings has to say about uh, Josiah, the king of Judah. So turn with me to Second Kings chapter 23, verses 25. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the laws of Moses. So I want to read that again. This is about Josiah. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with all the laws of Moses. So praising Josiah for how he followed the one true God. He turned to God in everything that he did. He followed God. So again, opposite of his of Manasseh. Um, so we so there was some darkness and now there is this hope again, right? Is Josiah the one that is establishing this uh, this kingdom of righteousness and justice that will go on forever? Is he the one that's sitting on the throne of David doing these things? People probably thought maybe uh, he was born. Um, I mean, this was a child that was given, so he was born. Uh, he is a king. He's sitting on the throne of David. And even if you see how they describe him, neither before nor after was there a king like him. If you um, go back to what they said about Hezekiah, it kind of gave a clarifying statement. The king, the king of Judah. There was no king of Judah like Hezekiah before or after him, right? Uh, but this one doesn't give that clarification. It just says no king like him before or after him. Almost like they're talking about King David, right? Because King David was the second king of Israel. And we know he was 
probably the greatest king that Israel had. But this almost sounds like they are talking about King David, that there was no one like him. And he followed God with all his heart and all his soul. So Josiah was a good king. He was a righteous king. He followed the ways of the Lord. He led people um, back to God. But Josiah is killed in battle. So his reign comes to an end. So it really can't be Josiah because his reign comes to an end. So it's not Hezekiah. It's not Josiah. These are good kings, right? Uh, they're good kings. They um, helped their people. He helped. I mean, they led their people away from the false gods, back to the one, back to the true God of Israel during both their reigns. Um, they, both their reigns were probably uh, hopeful and probably filled with uh, righteousness and justice. But they didn't last forever. Uh, they came to an end. They were very temporary, good, but temporary. So. So, yeah, so, so bad king, King Ahaz, good kings, Hezekiah and Josiah. Uh, but even the good kings, the reigns came to an end. So, no way Isaiah was talking about Hezekiah or Josiah. So, now, who was Isaiah talking about? So, we clearly know that Isaiah was talking about Jesus. Jesus, the true king. Um, so let's look at what Isaiah chapter seven, six, chapter nine, six and seven say, right? So let's look at it. for us a child is born, to us a son is given, the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. So let's look at those things. Let's look at the things that describe this true king that we know that is Jesus, right? So first thing, mighty God. There's no way about it, right? Jesus is God. Even in this prophecy, they that's one of the things that they include to make sure that he is God. He is not just a prophet. He's just, he just wasn't a wise man or he just wasn't this teacher who said these things. He was not a self-help guru. He was not a life coach. No, he is God, mighty God. So, I want you to consider this for a moment, okay? So again, you're putting yourself as a in the shoes of a person living in Judah during this time, okay? Um, many times when we think about Jesus, our first thought goes to Jesus is my friend and kind of stops there. And we don't want to think more because we're very comfortable with Jesus being our friend. Um, when Jesus is other things, there might be things that come into that there might be some things that make us uncomfortable with that but so we stick with our comfort and we end with jesus as my friend and we don't think further but i want you to put yourself in the shoes of a person judah again and so this so when you think of god you're thinking about god the creator right this transcendent being who created everything right he is majestic he is wonderful he's so far removed from the splendor and majesty as humans so he is this person who is mighty who is majestic who is the creator right he is so holy he's so far removed from us in his holiness right like he is so holy that they had to tie a rope around the waist of the priest who went in the holy of holies because they never knew if they were going to come out dead or alive because 
God was holy and like they couldn't stand in his presence. So this is this God who is so holy and majestic and the creator God, this mighty God is saying that uh, he is going to come be with his people. He's going to come down and be with us. So just, it is such, like probably was a strange thought for the people at the time that this God who is so mighty, who is so bigger than what we can imagine, who created everything, is choosing to come and be with us. Or is saying that he will come and be with us. So yes, so Jesus is God. When he was born and when he lived uh, on earth, he was fully God and fully human. Um, He experienced life as we did. So Jesus is God. So there's no two ways about it. Very clear. He was mighty God came and lived among us. So he is God. Now, there's another title here. Um, Wonderful Counselor. Uh, So the title is, he has this wonderful counselor. Uh, Many times when I heard this title, wonderful counselor, I told myself, what I heard or told myself was wonderful, um, what's the word, a consoler. So I thought God was, so I thought this title was because he would console us. Yes, he does console us, but it is a wonderful counselor. So, and it just, what does a counselor do? He counsels you. He leads you to truth. So our God is this wonderful counselor that leads us to truth, that we follow him and he will lead us to truth and that he will point out truth to us. Um, but one thing about a counselor is that, I mean, we we go to a counselor when we have problems. We never really go to a counselor or seek counsel when everything is hunky-dory and everything is perfect. When things go wrong, we go to people because we need wise counsel, we need help. So when there are difficulties, when there are problems, we go to him because he is our counselor. He will lead us. He will guide us and he will lead us into all truth. Um, one thing is that when we do go to a counselor to get the best out of that counseling session, there's a requirement of honesty. Um, if you are honest and tell them the truth, and open up, then they can hear what's happening and lead you and guide you uh, out of that difficult situation towards hope. Same way with Jesus. He wants us to come to him and be honest with him. Because yes, he does know everything that is going on in your life. He knows the number of hairs on your head. So he knows everything. But when you are honest with him, it makes, it is more about us. It makes us open and to receive what he is going to lead us in. Uh, So let's go to him and be honest so that we can be open to how he is going to counsel us and lead us and direct us through that difficulty. So he is mighty God. So Jesus is God. He is a wonderful counselor. So he is there to lead us to, to lead us to truth. He is there. He is truth. And uh, when there are situations, he is there to counsel us all the time. Okay? Uh, the third title, Everlasting Father. So this sounds tricky. So why are they calling Jesus Father? We know that uh, he is the Son of God, God the Father. There's 
God the Son, Jesus, and God the Holy Spirit. So why are they calling Jesus Father? So it is not saying that Jesus is the Father. What they're saying here is that, so it says that Jesus will reign on David's throne. So the king here in this context is viewed as the father of the people. So what this means is that Jesus is like a father. So he's like an everlasting father, as in he is the one that cares for us. He cares for his flock. We are part of his flock as we put our trust in him. So he cares for us. He is a father who cares for his children. He is like a father who cares for his flock. And many times when this word father comes to us, and now let's talk about um, God the Father. So when we hear this phrase, God is our father, um, what we do is we impose our view of our fathers onto this uh, view of God the Father. Uh, so we many times have complicated relationships with our parents, especially our fathers. Uh, they may have been absent, um, physically absent. Maybe you had, did not have a father growing up, or maybe you had a father who chose not to be present, or maybe you had a father that was physically present all the time, but emotionally distant and absent and didn't care. So an absent father, maybe you had an angry father who you never knew when he was going to explode or go off on you, or who was constantly angry, or there were moments of calm, but you never knew when the bomb went off and anger spewed up. Or maybe you had a, a father who was never satisfied. Uh, the father who that you could never satisfy no matter what you did. Or maybe you just had a dad that was distant, so there are so many things that uh, our earthly fathers don't measure up sometimes that we kind of put this on God and view God the Father through these lenses. Uh, but I was listening to a message by a pastor called J.D. Greer, and he said something very interesting. He's like, Let, we need to flip the lens and really, rather than viewing God our Father through the lenses of our earthly fathers, flip the lens and view our earthly fathers through the lens of this God who is our Father. This God our Father, who is never absent, who is always near, who is satisfied in the fact that he takes joy in us, right? Our God takes joy in us. We are enough. He is satisfied by us, as in he takes joy. He is proud of us. Uh, we are not doing anything or working to satisfy him because he takes pride in us. He takes joy in us. He is proud of us. And Scripture clearly says that he is slow to anger. He's filled with love and mercy and grace. Uh, we don't have to be afraid of him going off on us at any moment because it, the scripture is very clear about how he is slow to anger, that his nature is gracious and uh, merciful and loving. So our, this heavenly father or even Jesus as a father, as a father figure is so different from how we may paint the how we may paint a picture of fatherhood based on the fathers that we have had. So this is a true picture of a father in how we can see God and or how Jesus cares for his flock. So and then so that's this uh, the words of everlasting father. And the last one that a title they give him is the Prince of Peace. What peace, right? We are not talking about 
peace as in uh, wartime and peace as in no conflict. That's not the peace we're talking about here. He's Prince of Peace because he came and through the work that he did on the cross and through raising from the dead, he reconciled us back to our God, almost as if so there was God and there was <clears throat> no peace between God and people like us who had kind of, who rebelled against him because we were not following him. But he came and through his work, has created peace between God and us. So we can be reconciled to God through what he did. So he came and lived as us, experienced life as us, went through the sufferings and stuff that we go through, yet remained free of sin. And he was fully God and fully human and chose to die, not by earth, not by circumstances, not by earthly circumstances that led him there. No, he chose to go take up the cross. He chose to be nailed on there. And he chose that, thinking about us. And then he was raised from the dead in three days. So through that work, he has reconciled us to God in himself. So this is that true king. Um, he is not a bad king. He is not a good king. He is the true king who has come to set things right. So when he was born, he established his kingdom and there is no end to that kingdom. That kingdom is everlasting to everlasting. It will last forever. And that when he was born, he initiated the his kingdom coming. So, and we are part of that kingdom. And we know that when he comes back, that everything will be set right, that uh, he will reign forever in in his kingdom and that all the injustices, that all the pain will cease and that there will be no more sadness and that uh, he will set things right. And so this is definitely talking about that true king who reigns on David's throne, who with justice and righteousness will reign forever so that's so we've kind of talked about bad kings good kings and the true king right so what does this kind of really mean to us this is what i'll tell you this is what it meant for me as i was preparing for this message um when we look at our lives there are many times there are clearly bad kings in our lives bad things that we know that are sinful that we kind of elevate, that we cling on to, but they're kind of easy to see. They're kind of easy to step away from because many times they fall into a clear-cut right or wrong situation. So we know what those bad things are and uh, we try and intentionally step away from them. So, But many times we do have those bad kings in our life that elevate themselves up higher, that we that just bring on uh, sadness, that bring on just, what's the right word here? They just bring trouble and ruin to our life because we cling on to those bad kings and they don't lead us anywhere. Uh, that is good. But many times those clearly bad kings are easy to spot and easy to work, and not, maybe not easy to work, but easy to spot so we can step away from them and bring them down. 
the tricky ones are these good kings, right? Um, you could people here could have mistaken Hezekiah or Josiah as the ones fulfilling these prophecies because their reigns were good. It's filled with hope. Uh, there was justice. There was uh, righteousness. Uh, so we might have many good kings in our lives. Some of the good kings that I was thinking about in my life is um, my wife, uh, the relationship with my wife. I love being married to my wife, uh, my children. I love my children. I love being around my children, just families in general. I enjoy being with my family, uh, work. I like my job. I like waking up in the morning and going to work. Uh, so there's, and then first, it could be many things, right? Comfort could be one of these good things, these good things that God has given us. But they go from being just good things to good kings because we elevate them up so much in our life and we draw strength and identity and everything from them. Uh, but what we see is even the reign of these good kings is very temporary. It's temporary. They are not everlasting. They don't last forever. Uh, so it. Uh, what I was telling myself as reading is like, these good kings that we have cannot be what we find our comfort in, cannot be what we find our security in. It cannot be the things that we lean on to support us. Um, so they are good, but they cannot be good thing. Good, they, they are good things, but they cannot be good kings because they cannot be elevated over the true king. And then we come to the true king. There's only one true king, and that is Jesus, and he's the only one that can support us. He's the only one that is eternal, who's everlasting, whose kingdom will see no end. And he is permanent. He is not temporary like these good things can be, but he is permanent. He will always be there. He is by our side, no matter what. So what, as I was preparing for this message, which I, what I was telling myself is that um, there could be bad kings and good kings, good kings in my life, but the most important thing is that I make sure that the true king is the only king in my life. That whatever things I've made kings above him need to be brought down to the right place. If there are bad kings, we need to turn away from those bad kings and seek help and seek counsel and seek God's forgiveness and repent and turn away from them. If there are good kings, we need to gain some perspective and give those good things the right place in our life. There is a right place for family. God wants us to enjoy our family. There is a right place um, for your wife. God wants us to love our wives. Um, but when these good things start taking the place of and becoming good kings, then there is um, that is not what we want because we start leaning on these things that uh, aren't meant to support there is only one person uh, who can support us fully, and that is the true king. So what I want is for the one true king, Jesus, to be the only king uh, in my life, the one that I can lean on, the one who will support me uh, no matter what, the one that is always present, the one that is slow to anger, the one that is merciful and loving and filled with grace, the ones that gives me a second chance when I need it. So... Uh, as I wrap up this, I think what I want to leave with is that um, we kind of sit back and think about who are the kings in our lives. Are there bad kings? Are there good kings? Or is there only the true king who is the king of our lives? And just to 
recognize that we want Jesus, who is the king, to be the true king and to be the only king of our lives. So thank you for giving me this chance to share this. I'm going to pray as I end and uh, I hope you have a wonderful Sunday. Heavenly Father, thank you again for giving us this work today. Um, please, whatever you meant for each and every one of us as we heard it, please, Lord, let this, as we pray over, sink into our hearts and penetrate our hearts and uh, bring about the change that you want for it. Father, thank you that you are the one true king. Thank you that uh, you are the only one that needs to be elevated in our lives. Please help us to recognize other things that have been elevated above you as good or bad kings, Lord. And help us to turn away from them or put them in the right place, but help us not to elevate anything above you. We ask that you would be the only king, the one true king in our lives, and that uh, you would help us through your Holy Spirit to keep it that way, um, where you are the only true king in our lives. Lord. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope you were blessed. To hear more messages like this, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past episodes. If you like what you are hearing, consider rating us, subscribing, and even sharing it with friends. That would really help us. For more content from We Are Zion and to connect with us, go to wearezion.in. Remember, Whoever finds Jesus, finds life.